Thank you for listening to the Girls Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit girlswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that. Welcome to the Girls Who Do Stuff podcast. I am Sarah Madras. And I am Jenny Midgley. And this is the show where you come as you are with the courage to speak up and tell a better story. And today I am so excited because my very good friend, Dominic Battistella, is with us in studio. Just say his name again. Say Dominic again. Battistella. It's the last name. You just get the way you say it. You're just like, boom. So smooth. <laughs> Battistella. Doesn't that sound It is. Hot? It's super that's cool. Fire. Yeah. There's that's like your a, stage name. Yeah. Well, that's his that's name. That's convenient. So. Yeah. <laughs> Look, um, uh, translated from the Italian, it means uh, heaven's warrior. Oh, really? I oh, never yeah. knew that. that I'm telling <gasps> even more fire what? now. Wow. Yeah. I have the most Catholic name ever. Dominic is has like a really awesome story, and I'll let him get to that. But he's also like an awesome human being and a super connector. And I'm just grateful that, A, he's like part of my world, and B, that he was willing to put himself through coming here today and talking to us. And if Jenny gives you the seal of approval of my very good friend, then that means like you're in the inner circle. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm going to let Dominic tell his story. But briefly, there's what is involved is swimming, championship policy debater, a, a executive chef, and now a business transition specialist. It's a long story. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So let's start. I like to tell people I am in my fourth career. And my career started when I was eight years old, when I started swimming competitively. And that lasted all throughout high school. And I swam at a level that most people who compete in athletics, maybe they practice a couple times a week. If you get to higher levels where you're competing, maybe you practice every single day. I was practicing every single day, twice a day. I'm getting up at four o'clock in the morning. I'm heading 30 minutes. I I grew up in Virginia Beach and and, in Norfolk area. We'd head down to Naval Base where the pool where we practice was, practice for two hours, go to home, go to school, go back to practice at Old Dominion University, do another three hours of practice, even on Saturdays. Okay. So it just didn't stop. And we were traveling all over the country, traveling all over the state, even internationally. So you know, what did the, you swim? <laughs> I, it, I swam every single stroke. However, I was a backstroke and middle distance specialist. I also uh, competed in individual medley, which means, yeah, you're, you're competing in every single stroke. Mm-hmm. My, my least favorite was breaststroke just because I couldn't, that my knees just weren't shaped to do that kick. Mm-hmm. However, the backstroke worked really well for me. And the backstroke is hard. Yeah. I did it because I swam all of one year in high school. And I showed up to a meet and they were like, the girl got sick. You have to do the backstroke. And I was like, but you haven't taught us that yet. Like coach, you didn't teach us how to do that yet. And he's just like, go, go, go. We got to go get in the water. So my only goal that race was to just not be last. And so I was just like doing it and you're looking up at the flags. (laughs) And when it was all done, I was like, (sighs) and I look over 
And I was like, was I the last one? And they were like, no, second to last. And I was like, victory! Yes. Well, you, achi- you, I you, achieved. Ach- you achieved your goal. Uh, it, I would have set my bar a little bit lower, being that it was your first time doing backstroke and it was a race, just to not smack your head against the wall at the finish. <laughs> <Right>. mm-hmm. <laughs> that would have been an accomplishment for me. <laughs> so it's hard. That's hard. Props yeah. to you, man. Well, I appreciate that. And the dedication uh, to like put in all those damn hours. You know, I... It, it's a lot of dedication, especially for somebody that young, but I'll tell you that it's a lot more dedication for the parents mm-hmm. of the swimmers. That is why I was kind of hoping that my kids were going to be mediocre athletes and we would never right. have to deal with that or I like dance do travel ball. or gymnastics yes. or anything like that. And I'm sorry, Scott, because I know you're going to hear this and be like, mm, it kills um, Matt too. but, yep. and of course the reality is, is that I'm going to be the parent of the kids running around to all of the different hockey things no, and no. likely gymnastics, which I'm like, mm-hmm. I already told Matt. No, I was like, we're doing one sport a season. We have two children. So that's yeah. already two. I'm not doing travel. Like unless they're going to be freaking LeBron. Right. It ain't happening. Right. And so, cause that brings me to my question. Was it worth it? Yes. I mean, it so teaches you me. a level of dedication. <laughs> sell sell us on, on why our kids need to be. <laughs> Okay, so uh, here's why I needed it, because I didn't know until I was an adult that I was actually ADHD. (laughs) So more props even to my parents for figuring out I needed to burn off all of that energy Mm -hmm. at at a very high level. But I want to go back to one point about parenting. You don't realize until you're a parent and you do have children who are doing sports how much your parents cared for you and how much of their lives they dedicated to you knowing you know my my daughter's 14 she does she does softball at a recreational level in the town of Cary. my son is an ncfc challenge league soccer and between those two they're going on at the same time it's it it's hectic Mm -hmm. to be able to do i can't even imagine what my parents went through you know being taking me to practice twice a day every single day and not only that the logistics i'm like yes well i'm gonna tell you something else that blew your mind not at the time when i was doing that my sister was also a national level figure skater going to figure skating practice every single day traveling all around the country with that so well in the financial investment too like holy crap yeah yeah so figure skating props to mom and dad betastella well those those two those two sports are extremely expensive i mean pool time ice time Mm -hmm. the equipment the travel um just the the amount of hours of commitment. Fortunately, my sister and I grew up in a period of time where families could survive on one income. So my mom shouldered the the brunt of the burden of playing chauffeur, Mm -hmm. playing part-time coach, playing, you know, chaperone. My dad did his part when he could, but he he was the primary breadwinner mm-hmm. and that allowed my mother to take up all this responsibility of making sure that my sister and I were just had had a parent just fully dedicated yeah. to what yes. it was that we were doing and it yep. needed to be that way. I, I, we never would have been able to do that if both my parents had to work full time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I did that all the way through high school, but at the beginning of my junior year of high school, I found something that I became extremely passionate about, and I'll call this career number two. All right. That was competitive policy debate. 
If you don't know me, some of you who are listening probably have heard me talk before and know that once you get me going, it's very, very hard to get me to stop. Well, so wait, I have to say, so like being friends with Dominic means that we will literally like Heather will be calling upstairs and being like, Dominic, it's 930. Like you promised you were going to be done because we'll have ended whatever networking thing and we'll just keep talking. So because y'all I know are surprised a bit at how much I can talk. And then you get my husband with him. And the two of them together. So like, it's a, it is a match made in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) It it, it works out well. That transition between swimming and debating, was it kind of like letting go of one love and like a breakup? Were you like breaking up with swimming and now moving on to your next love? Yes. Or was there a tra- was there, there a transition period? There, there was a very brief transition period. Did you cheat on swimming? Is that what we're saying? Well, he divorced swimming. Correct. Okay, so there wasn't there was no overlap. There was no cheating. There, there was there was a brief period of time where I was doing uh, debate and swimming at the same time, and I realized that you just couldn't make the time commitment to both uh, because it's it, not cheating, Sarah. <laughs> He was finding his way to see which one was in more of alignment. My analogy is with more his entertaining. <laughs> cheaters never me. win, you and talk- he's a winner. <laughs> so, uh, as a junior in high school, you know you're not going to remain committed to something for the rest right. of your life at that point. So, right, right. it's it's a great True. time in your life to be exploring and uh, taking on new tasks, uh, new challenges, and that's that's really what it was for me. All right. I've been swimming for a long time. You know, I knew I could take it to a level where, all right, I'm going to get a scholarship in college. I could be very competitive swimming in college and continue my career throughout school. But what am I going to do with that afterwards? I wasn't quite at the Michael Phelps level. You know, I could see at that period, you know, I had finished growing so I didn't quite get to the six four to six six level with you know seven foot five wingspan that's necessary <laughs> to compete at the at the highest level right. internationally. Right. So where do you go from there? Right. When you can like go off the block and you're already at the other end of the pool. The difference between the top person in the world and the thousandth person in the world is, you know, fractions right. of a second. Okay. So, and, and I had been doing it long enough and been an expert enough at where I was and understanding how much further I could go with it that, you know, I knew that that probably wasn't in the cards mm-hmm. for me. So mm-hmm. I found that something hard? that I wanted to try. Was that hard for you to like accept that, you know, that like, cause you'd been working since you were eight, right? And now you're what, 15, 16, and you've spent literally half your life in the pool was that realization hard to like accept? It's it's always hard to accept that you know you, you, if you're extremely competitive that you know there's certain physical limitations and there's no physical equality in this world, right? There's mm-hmm. just things that people can do that other people can't. That's why there's competition, right? There's a, you know especially in sports. So it. It wasn't hard to accept at the point where you, you realize, okay, you've kind of hit the limit of your physical growth, right? You know, if you asked me when I was eight, I would say, you know, that would have been hard because I have all these visions and these dreams of doing these things. But, you know, you 
you get to a certain point and you just realize, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be, you know, if you're a basketball player and you end up being five foot eight, you're never going to be the center for the Lakers because you're just, you're, you're physically not seven foot tall plus, mm-hmm. right? You'll so, be a point guard instead. Right. Well, you, you certainly could be, but you know, you just look at the history of, I mean, right. using that analogy, you look at the history of the league, how many five foot eight point guards have there ever been in the history of the league? Maybe, you know, a handful at the most, right? So if you're not already amongst the best of the best at that point, there's there's very little right. chance. And there were other things that I wanted to do with my mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. Uh, and explore the possibilities of. So you have to weigh at that point. Were your parents you, sad that you wanted to... They were, I mean, cause you know, we yes all hear, no. but like, that's a huge part, right? They've yeah. made this investment and then you're like, mm, I think I'm done. Like, I remember it, like, and I wasn't even at that level, but like trying to separate from, you know, the piano lessons or the dance or whatever, like it felt very hard to make that break. Mm-hmm. They didn't let on that that was hard. They wanted me to think on it before I made the decision to stop swimming, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, I did. And I don't, I, I think that they would have liked to have seen me keep swimming because that could have been beneficial for paying for college. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, there's, there's something to be said about that, but also, you know, they saw how passionate I was about being involved in debate and how hard I worked at it. You know, most people who start doing that started either as a freshman in in high school or they start even before that in middle school. I Mm -hmm. didn't even start till I was a junior. How does one work at debate? I've never, I've never heard of this. (laughs) Like, is it mirror work where you're like arguing in the mirror to get your point across in your face? Like I'm not being a smart ass. I'm legit. Don't understand. So so there's a number of things. It was just a question. Like how does one work at being a debater? Well, Well, first and foremost, how long does it take to be a competent or even uh, excellent public speaker? It takes a long time to develop those skills. That's just one of the many skills you have to have as a debater. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to public uh, speak in public first and foremost. Just get over that fear that you're talking in front of people. You've got to be able to know a, a lot about a lot of different topics. So we could go anywhere from legal issues as to whether or not a particular law is constitutional to the dynamics of the U.S.-China relations as it relates to which which country is going to have dominance over the South China Sea. It could be economic policy. It could be healthcare policy. So you basically need to become Ken Jennings from Jeopardy. Like to know a lot of things about a lot of different things. Just yes. so that you can have like a direct hit on like, you know, sinking somebody else's battleship. Well, the other thing that you have to have. I is just do a lot of metaphors in there. You, you <laughs> have to have a ton of preparation. So it, it's a little bit different nowadays. But when I was doing this back in the, the 90s and early 2000s, we would um, at debate tournaments, we would travel around with these Rubbermaid totes, you know, the 50 gallon ones, and they were full of paper. They would be like the expandable accordion organizers. They would be in file folders, and each one of those folders or expandable files would be an argument, a, a topic. And we would have four to five of those. We'd be traveling around with hundreds of pounds of paper. Wow. 
in competitive debate, just like any other very, very targeted, isolated community, they come up with their own language and their own styles of doing things. And one of the things about policy debate that you have to learn how to do is speak very quickly and concisely. And I don't mean eliminating ums from your speech. I mean micro micro machine man type speech. You're talking about like 500 words a minute, fast, fast, world record style speed. You also have to be able to take notes on that when somebody else is speaking. And while you're speaking, especially if you're giving a rebuttal speech, you have to be speaking at that speed while also answering somebody else's arguments oftentimes off the top of your head. So like when we're watching these presidential and and electoral debates, right, and we're seeing that they're like writing things down, like that's real, like they're not just doing it for show. (laughs) Because I've wondered, right, like these are people who have been prepped to the point of like being robotic when they're in the in the policy you know in the debate realm right like uh, some of them seem artificial so you know but they're when they're actually writing things down like that's legit so it not in the same way that we would do it in in a competitive debate but they're yes they are taking notes like okay they talked about this i, I need to address that piece right, right? and i will I also tell you that shot. the the fellow that does that heads up the debate prep for the Republican side on uh, for presidential debate prep. His name is his name is Brett O'Donnell, and he is the director of debate at Liberty University. Go figure, right? Know him personally. Competed against his teams quite a bit, and and one. <laughs> I was I was like consistently. And? I don't think I've ever. Lost I'm like sitting here in the room, but going, I could be wrong. I right. mean, somebody could go back and fact check that, but I can't remember. But you know. But like I'm sitting here telling the other people in the room like and wait for it because I know the answer to this one. (laughs) So how do you feel like those skills assist you in your business now? Obviously, the communication skills are critically important, especially when you're having conversations with somebody about things that are incredibly important to them, such as, you know, their personal finances, their business finances, uh, the strategic thinking has been very important as well as in coming up with uh, coherent overall strategies for helping people solve problems that they have. That's the whole point of policy debate is for an entire year time, you have one topic. It's called the resolution and it's a statement that starts the debate, but the entire year and everybody in the entire country is arguing as that, as the center of the start of the debate. That is fascinating. What's one main problem that businesses face and that you would argue is the strategy to solve that problem? Well, one of the main problems that businesses face that's, that's been incredibly important to them right now is the issue of business continuity. I mean, you think about the things that's the word I was looking for business continuity. Yeah. The things that have happened this year, you can, you can run down a list. I mean, the year started with brush fires Mm -hmm. in Australia. Australia. Mm -hmm. You've had, uh, you've had tornadoes ripping through the, the Midwest and the Southeast. You've had these huge floods from the dams blowing up in Michigan. You've had, of course, COVID-19 pandemic and the economic collapse that has gone along with that. You've had you know, these, the, the civil unrest that has created massive disruptions in businesses, in particular you know, urban areas. So the, you've got a lot of things that are creating disruptions in businesses' revenue streams. 
and uh, you know business continuity planning has to do with how you reduce or eliminate the risk of those things for your business and creating the reserves to make sure that your business can succeed and continue through and beyond some of these things that can interrupt revenue. Okay. So in order to do that, you can't just say, all right, I've got the silver bullet solution that's going to solve all your problems. It's a creating a overall plan, creating a team to come together and put put those things together and then having different solutions that you piece together that solve that specific business's continuity issues because the continuity issues for a business, say, in San Diego where they are have wildfires and earthquakes are going to be different than business continuity issues on the coast of Wilmington where you're liable to have a hurricane, right? You're not gonna you're not gonna plan for a hurricane in San Diego. You're not gonna plan for a wildfire in Wilmington, and and if know, those things di- start to happen, you better start you know finding a bunker somewhere to hunker down because the apocalypse is coming. <laughs> well, no, I mean you look. You have wildfires and earthquakes in California every single year, right and period. Slides. You mud have slides. hurricanes on the East Coast every single year. Mm-hmm. You have to plan for them. A lot of people don't plan for those things. And that's called having an ad hoc continuity strategy. So like, but is it that people don't plan or they don't feel like they can plan because they're still living, like they're still in this paycheck to paycheck mindset because they can't, they don't feel like they can get ahead. I think that a lot of times business owners, uh, they don't think about those things because they're busy. Right. And they don't think about them until, you know, the, the, the forecast says, all right, get the heck out of Dodge. So what's mm-hmm. the plan? Board up the windows and, and head away. Right. You should kind of have that already plotted out, mm-hmm. I would think, it is, especially if that's something that's happened, you know, it is a high propensity of happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's part of building the strategy and and coming up with the plan is like what's high propensity what's low propensity what it what would what's the ultimate impact if your business is is disrupted for a certain amount of days a certain amount of weeks due to this how do we decrease the recovery time by you know 10 20 25 percent in order to you know it decrease the disruption to your bottom line how do we keep your employees and your customers safe? How do we protect your property? You know, all of these Mm -hmm. things. And if you just too busy to put together a plan and that just means your plan is, I hope this doesn't happen (laughs) and hope isn't a strategy. I mean, hope's a great idea. Hope's hope, you know, hope something that, you know, has great power in this world, but it's, it's not a risk management strategy for sure. Right. So, like, we can sit here and get lessons on business continuity forever. I want to hear about being a chef. Yeah. And I want to hear about the proposal. Okay. <laughs> and, like, food and love. Food That's and what love. I want to talk Before we were starting, and as various conversations were happening within the studio, and Dominic was saying that in Lake Lore, where they were last weekend for the proposal, they went to a restaurant and had to leave because none of the servers or hostesses were wearing masks. (laughs) And then he's like, but you know, I brought food and I had this like smoked ribeye and I was like, because of course you did. 
<laughs> because I don't know. think you understand, like listeners, y'all have to understand what it's like to be in the social circle with Dominic where like we invite them over for dinner and we're like, hey, we're going to do this. And he brings a pork butt. <laughs> I already planned it. I already bought it. It was already in the sous vide and the brining and the, 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 the and I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's do it up. <laughs> we'll make sides. I, yeah. <laughs> Look, food is love for me. Okay, you you talked about let's talk about food, let's talk about love. You know, I grew up I grew up in Virginia, but my parents were both from Buffalo, New York. So my mom is 100% Polish, my dad's Italian. The phrase that I keep remembering when I was a kid is, you know, we're we're eating a meal and we're talking about, well, what are we going to eat next? And I'm not talking about like next right after the meal. I'm talking about we're talking about the next meal. And and Every social gathering was around food. Every like time we would go to see family uh, up in Buffalo, we'd go to my aunt's delicatessen. We'd eat all sorts of crazy food that I'd never right. had before. You because know, you're talking to the Italian girl and the yes. Jewish girl where also food is love. Well, <laughs> right. And I, I don't and know like, if you've noticed this around quarantine, but I noticed this around quarantine is because all of my pictures are like for my birthday was during quarantine and so my birthday pictures were of these amazing meals that we had for my birthday over the weekend mm-hmm. on the beach and I was like how sad is this that my birthday consists of my joy is of the food I'm eating but it wasn't because food is nutrition or nourishment it was because food is attached to memories mm-hmm. of family members and people and connection and community and because we're not able to have that because of COVID. That's how I was filling that void. And I was invoking those memories through these, like I had crab legs. Right. And my brother, Mark, who has passed away, he would always sit next to me and crack the crab legs and hand it to me when I was little because I couldn't crack it fast enough. And he would give me his. And And so every time I eat it, I think of him and my dad and us doing that together. And that's what we did for our anniversary too, because this was the first year since 2004. We didn't go away for our usual Memorial weekend trip. And I mean, that's become to celebrate our wedding anniversaries. Like that's where we got married that weekend. And, you know, Dominic and Heather came over for a seafood. Scott was like, I'm going to do a seafood boil and literally had like, what are those things called? Those big silver trays, like full mm-hmm. of mussels and scallops and potatoes and, potatoes corn, and corn and sausage and clams. clams. And yeah. And I don't know who ate more clams. You were Nicholas. I think Nicholas. <laughs> Look, he's he, he's he's nine years old. The kid's got a hollow leg. He does have a hollow toes, leg. You know, it's a- like this is the kid that starts his day with a turkey and cheese sandwiches and ends his day as his like third dessert with a turkey and cheese sandwich. It's fantastic. But no, it is. It's because food is love, right? And you and I talked about this because we had a conversation once about the the five love languages. Because I was like, what is your love language? Why isn't food on there? And right, why isn't food in the love languages? But. Um, we actually like, it was about turning the phrase because I don't remember what you said, but I was like, dude, I think yours is like gifts and acts of service because you create, like, think about you create these dishes that you literally infuse yourself into to give as a gift to those people that you care about. You mean like barbecue sauces? Like barbecues. We have the (laughs) shelf of Dom. Yes. We have the Dom sauce shelf in our refrigerator. By the way, are you getting low? Yes. Okay. I got you covered. (laughs) (laughs) There's like this much left in the big one and a half liter bottle of awesome sauce. Oh, yeah. I got you. No worries. No worries. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So just kind of go back to that, you know, attaching food to memories. So 
I learned how to cook from my babshi. So that's Polish for grandmother. And, you know, she would, she lived in San Diego and we were, my mother was the only one of her children. She was one of seven. She was the only one of her children not to live in the Southern California area. She left. So, well, no, no, no. She, everybody left Buffalo and went different directions, but most everybody went West. Okay. Uh. So for, so what I missed uh, by not being out there was the opportunity to do these big Sunday dinners mm-hmm. where the whole family goes to my pop she's house and, you know, the, the, and getting to interact and really know my cousins yeah. as mm-hmm. my friends growing up. A lot of people have that experience. I didn't get to have that experience. What I did get was every year for a month, my pop, she would fly out, spend a month with us and, I got her to myself. And my sister and I got her to ourselves. Oh, isn't that and the better deal? I mean, it's it's six of one, half dozen the other, though, because, like, both experiences would be beautiful, but, mm-hmm. yeah. But I got to sit with her, cook with her, you know, learn what she did, observe. And, I mean, the first real dish th- that made me want to be a chef was guamki, which is uh, cabbage rolls. Okay, so it... I still love them to this day. Every fall, I can't wait for that first cold weekend where I can, you know, buy a couple of heads of cabbage and start making them and bake them and then freeze a bunch of them so we can pull them out throughout, you know, the next few weeks and months uh, because they, they, they are a process to make. But that's the, that's the food that inspired me to ultimately go to culinary school and become a chef I, because I just had that passion and that love for the food and I also found I had a talent for it I mean when I was eight years old I started making cookies in the kitchen for you know solo without a parent involved mm. I you know started making you know dinners at 10 11 making my own sauces marinaras things like that and it's something I always really love to do as a hobby and I also love to eat so that those two things go hand in hand, right? So like, I'm going to pause you for a second because you were, so you went from policy debater. So like many people who are in that realm go to law school sure. and you chose to go after undergraduate culinary school. So okay. how did that transition occur? You mean what, what made me decide to like, do that? Right. Or? Like why yeah. didn't you go to law school? <laughs> And why did you go be- because to culinary is school? Better. Well, I, because food is love. Not, Are you not listening? <laughs> well, when you're doing debate at the highest level, you do a lot of obscure research. And one of the obscure topics that I did way too much research into was a, a critique of normative legal thinking by Pierre Schlag, which pretty much turned me off to going into uh, law school, going into the field of law just in general. I was, you know, this young, idealistic, just graduating from college person. And, you know, I read something that just really sparked something in my mind. And I thought, you know what, if I go to law school and I become a lawyer, will I be able to look myself in the mirror each and every day for the rest of my life? Or do I want to do something that I consider to be honest work? And I made that decision at a point in my life where I didn't know a damn thing <laughs> about <laughs> hard work and what it would take to, you know, to to maintain a household and raise a family. And I went to culinary school where, you know, it was awesome. 
great experience. I loved every bit of being in culinary school. I loved learning. I loved, you know, learning the techniques, learning the international cuisines, learning how to do butchery. It's just all of these things that you get to learn in culinary school. And then, you know, I would was also working in restaurants while I was going to school. So I'm going to school during the day and I'm applying what I learned at night. That's like tangible, real time exactly. results, right? Yeah. Like, so a lot Talk of about us. Implementation. Right. So it's like that, you know, same thing with photography, right? Like you can read about something, you can learn something, you can learn a new skill and then immediately mm-hmm. put it into action. That is immediate gratification. That's yep. immediate, like, Instant yes, this integration. Ed- yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can learn about constitutional law, but how long is it before you get to make an argument in front of the Supreme Court? Right. So you (laughs) talked about the cabbage rolls being your connection to your grandma. Jenny, what is the food that connects you to your grandparents? Sweet and sour meatballs. Okay, tell me that story. Um, We used to go for a Sunday um, dinner to my Grammy's apartment, and she lived in a studio. Efficiency was what they were, <laughs> not a studio and efficiency. And I would play with her costume jewelry mm-hmm. and she would make uh, sweet and sour meatballs. And we, I found it very odd always. And I remember this, like even growing up that we, there would always be an argument about the canned vegetables that she had in the cabinet. Right. Because at that point, like in the eighties, there was fresh vegetables, right? Like we weren't mm-hmm. depression era, but she, she didn't drive. She didn't, you know, she took the bus everywhere. She worked for the treasury department. She was one of the money counters in the treasury department. Mm -hmm. And literally like that was her job for 30 years. And she retired with her pension and she. And a whole lot of paper cuts. I didn't imagine. (laughs) (laughs) But every Sunday we would have, you know, it would be like canned green, green beans and Swedish meatballs. And then my grand, my dad's side was Polish. I say Swedish meatballs. I meant sweet and sour meatballs. I'm thinking of Ikea and their Swedish meatballs. I, I miss Ikea. Sweet and sour. I it was, it, it, you said sweet and sour before. Yeah. So okay. you're talking yeah. about the ones with, you know, that have the pineapple juice and yeah. chunks of pineapple and carrots and it's got this like yellow glaze sauce, right? Yeah. 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 And they, those are the, yeah. And they're, they, I mean, they were delicious. It was just what, you know, that's what she did. And then my dad's parents, they're Polish, but by the time... I can't remember, because there's like a huge age difference, right? My sister is 15 years older than me, and my brother's 12 years older than me. So my parents were in their late 30s when I was born. So they, or when they adopted me, and they were, my grandparents were already like super old. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they would come over, and I don't really remember my mom mom cooking all that much. I'm sure she did when we went to visit them in Florida, but I don't really remember that. For me and my grandparents, my two passed away and then my other one passed away when I was really little. The only memories I have of her is the smell of the sauce, the pasta sauce on Sundays, the uh, sounds when we would go for Sunday dinners and there was a checkered black and white chair. And I would remember that chair, Mm -hmm. the smell and the sounds. But my pap-pap on my my mom's dad, he would come down and they would always bring us like the huge thing of strawberries so it was multiple things in the like what is it flat or whatever that's called and it was multiple little green thing containers baskets of strawberries and we would have strawberries Mm -hmm. and they would stay with us for when they would come down for the winter to Mm -hmm. go through florida down to their little condo in south florida wow the snowbirds yeah we i equate mm -hmm. strawberries to him oh that's that's a great memory you know what sunday is sunday is flag day Right, June 14th is Flag Day, but it is also National Bourbon Day. 
and National Strawberry Shortcake Day. Really? So before we do the proposal, what is your like number one craziest chef story? I would say one of the craziest things that happened was the day I opened this gastropub called Taps Poor House. It's in the Lake Norman area of North Carolina. And we were doing our friends and family night. So it's kind of a test run of the menu and it was scheduled, but we didn't get our our certificate of occupancy until the day before. So we had nothing prepped in the kitchen. So we, I mean, that day we got the CO, we had trucks lined up ready to deliver, delivering, putting everything away in the entire kitchen, having to you know, get people on prep. None of the people knew how to make any of the recipes because we hadn't had an opportunity to do any training prior to that night. So I'm flying around, like telling people how to do things, but also doing a ton of it myself and trying to also at the same time, set up the, the, cooking lines and figure out which people that were on my staff were going to be the most effective and which which, uh, positions. And instead of limiting that friends and family service to just a handful of people and, and limiting the menu to a couple of things, the owner decided that he was going to open it up to two sessions of almost unlimited people uh, we were <laughs> packed and it was the nothing idea. like trial it was the by en- fire it right? was the entire menu okay oh. mm. and not only that but our point of sale system had not been installed yet so it's handwritten tickets that w- from servers that don't even know really what's on the menu yep. yet yep <laughs> and it, That's... to an untrained kitchen staff with product that was just just produced, just set up, and you know we really hadn't had an opportunity to test any of our systems yet. Bananas. That was the like, it was like drowning in quicksand. But did you learn from it? What yeah, did you learn? From I, I I learned that <laughs> That's is I not. With, did you learn? That from is it? not how you do a rollout. There it is. <laughs> So Dominic, so if you all have listened to our previous um, episode with Heather Davis, I don't remember what episode number that is, maybe like 24, 23, whatever number it's going to be. But Heather Davis was our guest and she recently said yes to this strapping young man sitting in our studio today because he took her to, and like they totally didn't know each other before Girls Who Do Stuff. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> that would be really cool. <laughs> that would be really Too cool. <laughs> he heard her and it was just immediate. No. So yeah, and Heather's amazing and I love her to pieces. And so they went away to Lake Lure, North Carolina, which for those of you that don't know, that's where they filmed Dirty Dancing. I was going to be like, did you reenact the lift? Did I asked if he was going to do we that. Did, we did not do the lift. We instead reenacted the last of the Mohicans, <laughs> <laughs> which was it's filmed true, at though, Chimney you Rock. Took the plunge. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they did take the plunge. So, so please share with us the proposal story. Okay, I had been planning this for a while, and we've been talking about just taking the plunge because we've been we've been together for five and a half years. We've been living to, in, together since January of 2016. We've been co-parenting three precocious teenagers. Precocious. Can we call it teenagers precocious? Maybe surly would be a better word. So we're, you know, we're, we're already a family, right? Well, yeah. let's, let's, let's make it official. Like we're, we're not going anywhere. We're, you know, and so. Which by the thinking, way, I had no idea that they were not married until 
Heather said something one day and I was like, what? Right. Until you told me about the proposal, <laughs> I was like, wait, aren't they already? Yeah. Seems like because they talk right. about, like, they talk about their blended family. It's like our family, right. us, our we. kids, mm-hmm. my kids. Heather says my kids, my kids, my kids all the yeah. time. And in my head, she's talking about all three. She's not just talking about the one that she birthed. Right. right. So it's like, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Go so, ahead. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're so we were out and about on a date day. I had already been, I, uh, okay. I've got a jeweler, a uh, friend of mine that I've known for a long time. And I, I met him at one of the restaurants that I opened. He actually lives and has his shop in Cleveland. And he's been doing this for 40 years. You're talking about, you know, a guy who's a master at his craft. Yeah. He's 70 year old Jewish jeweler who mm-hmm. knows how to make things for by hand and does it and does it in such an artful way. So, you know, I've been going back and forth with him. Like, let's, let's get a time where we can talk because I'm, you know, I've been talking to him for about the last two years. If I, one of these days I'm going to call you and I'm going to be asking for a ring. So be ready for it. And so, you know, I, I reached out to him or you know, a couple of weeks before he gave me a call. We were out on our date day and this was, Maybe two or three weeks ago, we were going to be heading to your house for dessert after that Mm -hmm. for uh, Peach Cobbler. We're at the Abbey Road Grill in Apex and sitting on the patio, and I get this phone call. It's from my jeweler. I'm like, I had a chance to talk to him. I need to talk to him. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, So I just walk off. Heather, I got to take this phone call. An hour later, I'm still on the phone. She's over there just on her phone like, I wonder what he's doing. She's getting mad. You know, (laughs) like, obviously... This this man is asking me questions about all right. How did you meet her? What you know? What, what's your family like? Tell her. Tell me about her job. Tell me about what you're doing these days. She just went through like the last five and a half years of our life together. You know, how did you meet? All these things. All these stories. He took all of these stories and poured that into a custom ring. I wondered it's why, because that ring is on another level. It is beautiful. And I was like, my God, where did he get this? That we'll share so a picture when we do. Yeah, it's so. This, it's this, it, it was kind of based off of a vintage Tiffany's design, but he put the whole thing, I mean, he built the ring, he built the facets. That wasn't like a prefab thing that mm-hmm. you can just. The prongs. You know, yeah, mm. the prongs. You, the setting. You can't just buy that, right? Yep. And he hand-selected each of the stones. There's 19 stones in that. Right. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's like a, it's like a cluster oh, of flowers. So I don't I don't want to focus too much on the ring. No, but let's you know, move that's, on. Yeah, so because it's the story I ordered it, of the ring. Right, I yeah. ordered it. I had to tell my my stepdaughter Elena because she's that that this was going on because she intercepts the mail mm-hmm. every single day, and this was getting shipped to me, and it had to be signed for. So I wanted to make sure she got it before her mother did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she knew it she brought it up to me we and and we were planning on doing something for heather's birthday which was this past weekend and you know we're trying to figure out a place to go we're we gonna go to the beach we're we gonna go to the mountains we decided on going to lake lure because we went up there last year we really enjoyed it and i was like oh that's perfect mm-hmm. right very very romantic thinking of the dirty dancing mm-hmm. you know the, the thing that they've got going on uh you know this is where I'm going to do it, but I don't know exactly how I'm going to do it. You know, like our, uh, my first thought was, we're definitely going to be hiking Chimney Rock. We did that last year. We were, we were bound and determined to go from all the way at the bottom to the Upper Falls, which is, uh, if you haven't done that, it's like an eight-mile hike mm-hmm. straight upstairs. It's crazy. Yeah. And and I thought, okay, well, the I'll do it. The air is different up there, too. I'll do it on top of Chimney Rock. There you go. Okay. So I was thinking. 
Because that's what every girl wants after hiking for eight miles and right, being disgusting right. yeah, and we sweaty. To be <laughs> like, let me memorialize this moment right. by proposing, yeah, which yeah. I'm going to want to immediately take a picture. Well, yeah. to, to Dominic. Be, to be fair, to be fair, <laughs> we it's hiking is something that we love to do. Right. I mean, before I, the summer before I met Heather, she hiked to the peak of Mount Soperus, which is a like a 13,000 foot peak in uh yeah, she's Colorado. like a midwestern girl yeah, like she's, she's yeah she's definitely an outdoors person yeah. right and so i mean it would have been fine you mm-hmm. know it would have been good and she did say that she appreciated not having sweaty <laughs> pictures that, you know oh yeah. my god here i got the ring and i'm that i, I can't put know. on my finger because i'm all swollen because of the altitude change we'll, we'll talk about that in a second <laughs> <laughs> well it's not the altitude change if you just going hiking will yeah. swell yeah. your, your extremities yeah. up anyway so I got a suggestion from somebody who I will not name. Name Sarah uh, Madras. Yeah, through Jenny Midgley. Through Jenny Midgley, yes. <laughs> uh, that we visit the Flowering Bridge, which I had not heard of, actually. Even being there last year, I didn't know that it that existed. But I looked it up, and I was like, oh, that's perfect. Right? It's this, this beautiful community garden that's maintained mm-hmm. by uh, local volunteers, and it's decorated it's, it's a stone walking bridge and there's gardens on either ends and there's everything's kind of built to be uh like the book the secret garden yeah right? and heather it's, was like and he took me to the secret garden and it was so beautiful and i was like <laughs> <laughs> i wonder where he got that i, I didn't say anything but yeah yeah, yeah. Well, well she she's not going to know that until she listens to this podcast <laughs> <laughs> We can have Joe edit that part out right. if you want. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I, I want to see her. It's a group effort. Yeah. <laughs> so we I we went out to eat and have some beverages at uh, up in Chimney Rock, a couple of places up there, and you know we we went on this tour of this like old it was like an old bed and breakfast house that was currently not open for uh COVID-19 reasons but we we just happened to be walking back to our car and there was the 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 housekeeper uh, the you know proprietor. The, person, the proprietor not the owner but the okay. proprietor mm-hmm. and a couple of her friends were sitting out on the porch of the place and we smelled something that you know might have been green um, it's <laughs> coming in that unique. direction we just kind of turned our it heads and she started talking to us like this chatterbox and we're like oh this is fun okay <laughs> and and she eventually sh- started giving us this tour of this place and, and i'm like okay well, are we ever going to get to this <laughs> <laughs> let's get to the flower let's, so you're at the garden so, so so we drive uh drive to the garden park and we walk around we walk around the whole thing across the bridge see everything take pictures and we finally go down the, there's this little pathway through this door that is the secret garden and nobody else is down there and there's the little stones that lead to the edge of the water and she's looking she's walking out and looks over the water and i'm behind her and i drop down to a knee grab her hand spin her around babe (laughs) it's time (laughs) well no here's the thing right there the, the stones are a little bit higher than the ground she's standing on and she's five foot one and i'm six foot one mm. and on my knee in that position i was about as tall as her so it was a little bit weird right <laughs> it's not like that classic you know yeah. you get down on one knee it just put me at eye level yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like you know hey, right like let's let's get married right and it, i was 
a slightly more artful than that, but yeah. probably not much because I was like stumbling over. Well, my nobody words remembers what was said. I don't remember what my husband. Oh my said. god! So my husband handed me a wrapped cell phone box inside of which was the ring because it was Christmas morning, and I was like, "Oh, thanks for the new cell phone." Okay. <laughs> And then opened it and the ring was inside and he just kind of looked, he was, I remember this vividly. He was laying on the couch, wasn't even looking at me. He's like, we're getting married. I was like, sweet. <laughs> it's the ring I wanted. <laughs> Legit. And that, did he tell you when we were inside, he's like, don't bother asking. That's how you guarantee that, you know, she'll say yes because she won't have to say yes. Cause you're just going to be like, here, we're getting married. Like you're just telling. You're not yeah, asking. you're telling. You're not asking. <laughs> yeah, I did not take that advice. Good, good man. <laughs> I, I, I was trying to plan for a little bit of romance. I mean, you know, I, as romantic as Scott, you know, doing the whole like yeah. lay out across the couch and his smoking jacket thing would be. You know, it was not really my style. Jacket, but yeah, <laughs> so funny in his hockey jersey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in Syracuse funny. on Christmas morning. So you know it was. Freezing cold, That's but anyway. So I, she, I will say, I will say, I put the ring on the wrong hand because I, I was just like, you know, a little bit, yeah, you were and nervous. Frazzled. Well, I wasn't nervous that she was going to say no. It was just like, the whole know, excitement of the right. moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and you know her. And she let her, you put it on her, the wrong hand? Well, she was like, you're putting it on the wrong hand. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm thinking, oh, it's going on the left, but my left is your right. And your left. <laughs> I was a little confused. Yeah, and then, it's okay. You know, of course, she, she, she was like, I gotta sit down. <laughs> she gives me this hu- you know, huge hug and kiss and says, I gotta sit down. Yeah. And just, you know, like that feeling, that look, that experience that you get where you feel drunk but yes. you haven't been drinking yep. that's yep. it's her it's the, uh, it's yeah. the yes. adrenaline and the oh, yes. yeah yeah so oh congratulations now the next yeah. day when we hiked chimney rock though her hand did swell and like the ring's just like oh this is so tight yeah. well yeah yep. <laughs> i'm impressed that she wore it the next day hiking up chimney rock because yeah. i would have been afraid i would have lost it yeah me too now she did good she's like right. I know, right? It is. It's like you just stare at it. When they're all fresh and new like that without gunk. Yes, they're so pretty. I have to get mine resized because I never wear it. So so Heather does have to get her, her resized because no. it's, uh, it's actually too big. Yeah. And she's, she said, uh, well, my, my finger size is four and a half to five. So I had the jeweler make it four and three quarters. It's like if, if there's a fluctuation. Right. There, right. So, no, like if she shakes it. it it flies off. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, we definitely we have want to that. Have one size a little bit. Yeah. Heart right. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. Cool. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Are Very you exciting. ready for the next step? Uh, Which what, is lightning, lightning round. round. I was going to say, yeah, lightning round. <laughs> See how I set you up for that? <laughs> all right. So, in on Girls Who Do Stuff, we do this thing called lightning round where we ask you a bunch of questions really, really fast, and then you answer them. The first answer that comes to mind. So, you ready? Yes. But I'm pumped. All right. Okay. So when's the wedding? Uh, we don't have a date yet. Right. Sometime after COVID-19. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So what is something no one knows about you? Mm, pass. Ah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no one's some... ever tried to pull that yeah. shit with us before. <laughs> you are totally not going to get away with and this. And you like totally triggered you. You were like, uh, no. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, uh, 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 most people don't know this. My parents do. My family does. I had a re- I had an ACL reconstruction when I was 19 years old, 20, 20 years old. 
Wah, That's a softball. Wah. We're going to totally come yes. back to that one. Yeah. You just no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. We want the real dirty, dark, like I have a third. But he's like, wait, but I have a business I, that I have to run and yeah, people are going to listen to this. I buried a body in the backyard, all. you know? Yeah. Like the real Right, no. so okay. there's no bodies buried. No, no bodies buried. Well, I, this will tell tell you something about my sense of humor. I went to see my first stand up comedy show when I was 13 years old, and it was George Carlin. Yes, when I was 13. And I know something else that nobody knows about him. This man does not watch sitcoms. He does not like them. I do not. Not my thing. What? I yeah. know. My brain can't. Understand and you know what? Heather watches them in secret. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> I, I look. I have to watch stand-up comedy on my own because she gets tired of that. She so. watches them in secret. Yes, like it's porn or something. Right? <laughs> so there you go. So in They're the bathroom like, we got on her phone, yeah, Netflix, like, like with her headphones nothing, in. Nothing at all. Nothing to She's see like, here. I watch them. It's fantastic. <laughs> all right. So finish the sentence. If you weren't doing blank career number four, you would be a running for office. Oh, Ooh. fascinating. That is fascinating. That's another episode done. That's the reason he didn't offer up an answer to <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, something that, that nobody knows about you. Yes. That stuff right. will bite you like 30 years in the future. Right. Right. I was um, in a skit in college like Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is the number one thing on your bucket list? Let's see. I've got to go do a tour of Europe. Eat my way across France and Italy and Poland and Germany and and drink, of course. But right, yeah. like uh, Greece, throw Greece in there. Mm-hmm. Or you can just go to Epcot. No, I, no I, so <laughs> I have done the drinking across Epcot game. Have you ever done that? You just start at one end. I think one end is Mexico, the other end is Canada. So you yeah. either start with tequila or whiskey and work your way around the world. <laughs> that's, that was that's why so they, good. Thank you. Or just go to Epcot. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm going to do an eating. Like, all right. Sorry. <laughs> oh, what's your number one favorite book? My number one favorite book. Jeez. I. I don't have a favorite book, to be honest with you. I, look, I, it's it's usually always the most recent book that I've read. So I would say, presence, Amy Cuddy. I have yeah. I have a new one. Can I okay, yeah, go question? ahead. Yeah. So if you if your life was a movie, what movie would you be? Mm. Oh my god. Dirty Dancing right now, I guess. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. All right. Are you Patrick Swayze or are you his cousin? Oh, uh, I mean, you got to be Patrick, <laughs> right, in that movie. I mean, either that or I want to be Jerry Orbach. I was going to yes. say, that would be, yes. yeah. Like, no, he. I love him, right? Or Mr. The, Kellerman. Law and Order episodes. Yeah, oh, not the Kellerman's kid, but. Mr. Kellerman, that would be fun. Yeah. Like, yes, yeah. He's All a right. good dude. How do people find you, Dominic? You can find me. <laughs> you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. I'm pretty much ubiquitous there. If you look up just Dominic, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can find me on uh, LinkedIn. You can uh, email me at dbat. We'll put it all yeah, on the thing. Yeah. Don't read it now. Don't mm-hmm. don't spell it out now, Dominic. Um, Dominic is also the host of the RTP Rockstar networking events. So if you look up Rockstar Connect, you can find Dominic in there. Thank you so much for uh, showing up today and letting us talk you know, ask you fun questions for your future political career. And <laughs> I am not doing that, by the way. <laughs> Heather will. That's okay. Yeah. She and I are already planning. And so, yeah, thank you all for listening to the Girls Who Do Stuff. If you like us, please rate us. It helps other people find I'm us. saying if. When? What am I supposed to say? If you like what you're, do you like what you're hearing? Then We'd please rate us. We'd love for you. We, we would love for, you. Whatever. How about this? 
if you listen to this, which you are, <laughs> give us a five-star rating. Yes. Nothing four or three. See? None of that nonsense. You may as well not even go there. All right. All right. Give us a five-star rating. Exactly. Like it. Share it with your friends and family. This oh. has been the Girls Who Do Stuff. What he said. I am Jenny Midgley. I am Sarah Madras. And you do you, boo. We love making this stuff for you. You can help us out by subscribing to this podcast and follow us on social media.